0: Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek Podcast number two hundred fifty-two five zero. And joining me on our Zoom podcast today are writer, two-wheeler reporter Brian Robinson. So happy to be here, John. Great to have you with us, Brian. Over the Edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. Who is also our producer of the podcast and our online content coordinator from the eastern shore of Maryland, Jessica Ray.
1: Hey, how's it going? She's the
0: only one we know that didn't have snow around here this year. (laughs) All right, we've got uh, three cars to talk about. We've got a lightning round, a viewer question from Bob. We'll see if anybody's got a rant and rave. Let's start off with a vehicle that I'm not sure a lot of us uh, really thought would make it, and that's the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Uh, We've been uh, fans, I think, of the Outlander for a long time, and we've currently got the outgoing model in for a long-term test, uh, the hybrid version. So, who wants to start?
2: What is the 22 and what isn't it? Yeah, we... um john i don't know if you were watching on amazon live i was i was live in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the i guess the first cool. car launch on amazon live which i mean you know in hindsight wasn't that dramatically different than anything else we had seen i guess just oh. it was more accessible to you know just people who aren't in the industry and there was supposedly conversation happening but it didn't seemed a little contrived. Uh, but yeah, so uh, like you said, John, uh, we have an Outlander PHEV right now, uh, which has been in our service for like nearly two years at this point.
0: <laughs> Not quite, but close. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, the new one um, is, seems a quite a bit bigger, uh, it now has standard three row seating. So seating up to seven people starts at $25,000, just under $26,000. The big thing for me, though, was the updated technology, because mm. in, in our Outlander, we've commented that it really needed an update uh, which they've done with an available uh, digital gauge cluster which there i mean that's pretty amazing what they can do with these gauge clusters these days with the new um screen technology uh just all throughout the cabin it's just a much nicer place to be and uh will be a lot more comfortable too with the extra space brian whoops your mic's off
3: uh-oh Sorry about that. Sorry, I played some internet uh, gremlins this morning. uh, It says a lot about the Outlander, current Outlander, which uh, we have enjoyed a lot, but it says a lot about it when they turn to the Nissan Rogue to (laughs) enhance their driving experience. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think the Outlander is definitely an underrated vehicle. Uh, It looks a lot more rugged, for sure. The interior uh, greatly improved, uh, which is probably the least Favorite thing about our current one Mm -hmm. is just the interior is super black and not inviting. And uh, this one seems much more, uh, I wouldn't say luxurious, but uh, more of a comforting uh, demeanor to it. Um, But I think while we know a lot about it, there's a few things that we don't really know. And I think they're the most important things. They said it's an all new 2.5 liter with CVT. I don't know if that means it's really an all new engine or if it's just the Nissan Rogues 2.5 liter yeah. in CVC, which uh, to me, again, that's not uh, a great thing, not a bad thing, not a great thing. And they also said they're, it'll have their all wheel control, uh, which is phenomenal. Their all wheel drive system comes from Mitsubishi Lancers back in the day. Um, will it really be that all wheel control or are they just renaming the Nissan system, yeah. all-wheel control now. So those are the kind of things that uh, I'll wait
0: and see for uh, most. For people that don't know, Mitsubishi is now part of the uh, Renault-Nissan organization, and the um, the new Outlander is based on the Rogue. And and yeah, it's it's like when they say all new, it's like is it all new to you, or is it just, or what is it, or did it come? It it looks like an awful lot of technology is Nissan technology. Jessica, your impressions. It's a pretty brutish looking vehicle.
1: Well, you can sort of also tell where it gets, you know, it looks like the Nissan Rogue uh, a bit. It shares a lot of those characteristics. I think it certainly looks better on the outside um, than, the, than the outgoing model. Um, but what, what, in, what is interesting to me is the standard three row. They've decided to go all in with the three row. Um, which I guess makes it probably one of the cheapest three rows that you can buy um, on the market right right. now. I know Greg said it was like around 26, but with the destination fee, it ends up being closer to like 27,000 when it all comes down to it. Um, But that's still under 30,000. You can get a a third row. And while it's probably going to be a a relatively cramped third Mm -hmm. row, Um, Some people like the idea of having a five seater, but might need that extra seat, you know, an extra seat here and there. Um, And, you know, you don't sacrifice a ton of space because these third rows just fold flat. Um, So I think I think that's impressive and lets the Outlander, I think, stand out in a way where it if they want to sell more, it really needs to stand out.
0: They haven't said anything about, you know, they have said they're going to keep selling the current. Uh, Outlander PHEV alongside it for a while and they haven't said anything about whether or not there's going to be a PHEV or anything else for the new one I suspect at some point but it'll probably my guess and it's only a guess it'll show up in the Rogue first Uh, so that's always kind of a weird thing but at least uh, they'll be able to serve uh, that PHEV market which you know I remember when we started with the long term of that PHEV we're all we all were like you know, it's an interesting powertrain in a very old vehicle, but I, when you look through all of our long-term reports, the praise for the vehicle outside of its dated interior has been huge. So I think it's good that they've continued to offer it, even if it's a, a small take on it.
2: I, I think it's kind of a rebuttal to, you know, we hear a lot of comments about people saying there's just no affordable cars. Particularly SUVs, yeah, and that's just not the case. I mean, it's great that Mitsubishi is able to come out with something like this. And granted, it's not going to be a luxury vehicle, uh, but it is. And you know, speaking of the Mitsubishi we have now, it's a darn good vehicle. Uh, You know, I don't see why anybody would be upset at that price point. Plus, also
0: that if they're using some the more Mits the more Nissan componentry they Uh, Use the more easy it's going to have uh, to be repaired after it gets old and gray. So a good move all the way around. And it's amazing. I mean, I think five years ago, we thought that brand was toast. It's going away. Okay. uh, Let's move on to uh, the Hyundai Ionic 5, the first uh, all electric um, utility, if you will, from Hyundai. Who would like to start?
2: Well, I'm looking at it right now on our website, and it's the beauty of doing our virtual podcast like this. Yeah. I have all the information available Multiple available screen. to me. Uh, yeah, it is a sweet looking vehicle for anybody who's listening and not watching. Um, it is it looks like a concept vehicle. I mean, it has well, it looks all a
0: these lot it looks a like that, a lot like that what was it, concept 45 they showed two years ago. Yeah, that was
3: my there. question. Is it actually the production vehicle or is that a concept?
2: everything I've heard and read is that it's the yep. production vehicle. Uh-huh. Well, then yeah. that does look incredibly awesome. You know, yeah, with the, to...
0: with the sharp edges and all, it's kind of a throwback in a way, but I think it looks really cool.
2: Yeah. And it's not, you know, it is a, a crossover, but it's not like a, you know, a taller off-road ready crossover. Yeah. It's more of like one of those low slung, uh, maybe a little bit lower than, than maybe a Maki or a similar style, uh, but really cool looking uh, has a lot of, I'm waiting for Brian not- to say it's really just a station wagon. <laughs> but, but anyway.
3: That doesn't sound like me at all.
2: Yeah. Oh, not at all. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's so uh, the, um, the more things that for people who are listening. You know, it's uh, two battery options, 58 kilowatt hour and a 72.6 kilowatt hour. If you want to get down uh, to decimal points, uh, either a rear motor or all wheel drive, which would put motors on the front and rear axles. Uh, The interesting thing. So it's uh, standard with 800 volt charging, which will eventually be the new fastest charging station you can have. Unfortunately, not everything's there yet. So uh, it is 400 volt compatible. And I think, John, you might be able to correct me. It's the first vehicle that can do either 400 or 800 volt without any additional hardware. I believe it is,
0: but they're, to my knowledge, I'm not even sure there's any 800-volt systems up and yeah. running
2: in the United States at all. They're future-proofing at this point. Yeah. You know, eventually, hopefully, we'll get there. But if we do get there, they're saying you can get from 10% to 80% charge in like 18 minutes, which is pretty darn good, up to 290 miles of range. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, pretty sweet. Look, the other cool thing that I thought was was pretty interesting – is that you can actually charge other things like bikes or scooters from the vehicle. So it's actually like its own portable charger.
0: I think they looked at, probably looked at what Ford was doing with the F-150 and said, oh, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> Brian. Uh, yeah, sure. I
3: think they're, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they're actually launching Ionic as an exclusively EV brand. Is that correct? Yeah, It's, it's a new sub-brand, like, that's Gen- right. Okay, much like Genesis is their luxury brand. I get it. Um, the Ionic is—it's uh, a car that I mean they've had for a while as an electric car, a plug-in hybrid, a regular um, Ionic, and it really flew beneath the radar. I mm-hmm. think I think it was a great vehicle. It's been out since I think 2017. They've had the EV. I don't know if they were ashamed because it only had 124 mile range or what, but uh, I don't think they've promoted the vehicle hardly at all. I think it was actually a great vehicle. So I'm a little. You know, taking the leap to now take that and launch a whole brand out of it, um, uh, I think will be challenging, but it sounds like it's certainly got the technology uh, to make it an impressive vehicle.
2: I mean, I don't have any hard data to support it, but I think branching the Genesis brand off has helped. I think a lot of people have a much better perception of Genesis as its own brand than when they saw it as like a Hyundai Genesis. And, you know, and I'm not saying it's a valid argument but I know a lot of people who think of Hyundai and Kia still and they're like oh I don't I don't want to buy that because of what I used to hear about them and I try to tell them that's not the case anymore but I think Hyundai probably has to think about that at the very least so I actually think it might be a good move to kind of separate the Ionic brand because again just look at Genesis. Yeah I mean what I
1: what i like about this, the Ionic Five it specifically is the uh, the interior. It's very simple mm-hmm. and also cool. cool. It's real it's, cool with
0: the two screens.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very has very futuristic look inside and out, um, and certainly something that a lot of people seem to dislike uh, when it comes to uh, Teslas or even the Machi is the large tablet style infotainment system. They don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is certainly much more traditional, but still uh, very attractive looking. Um, and I think it also should be said that this will pro we don't know the EPA estimated range quite yet. Um, it will be under 300 miles. Um, it'll be somewhere probably close to that, but it will be under 300 miles. So, I don't know, you know. Uh, it, it seems like it, it does seem like a good starting point for launching the brand to be pretty close to that 300 mile okay. mark. Um, yeah, I
3: don't. Yeah, I don't know that it'll be that high because they that's based on the kilometers from the European cycle, and they do theirs a lot different than ours. They're generally you can't just translate it from kilometers to miles to get a range. I think it'll probably be closer right. to 200 than 300, but. Uh, Same thing
2: happened to Porsche with the Taycan. They were expecting these huge miles and then the EPA got it and it was much lower.
0: The EPA, the EPA numbers, and I'm picking a little bit of a number out of the air, but I think they've tended to be 10 to 20% less than the European cycles. And that will probably be for the big, you know, the hot, whatever the high number is, if it's 290, let's say, that's 290, that'll be the big battery with two-wheel drive, and then it'll be like probably like the Mach-E drop 10% when you add all-wheel drive and go down from there. So, um, and there was a very interesting um, test I read of the Mach-E where somebody up in Washington State, we're getting off topic a little bit, took a, um, a premium model, which is supposed to have a 270-mile range with all-wheel drive, and he did pure interstate travel at 70 miles an hour and he got 203 miles so when you draw you open them up on an interstate it no matter you know it goes pretty quick which i think is part of this whole problem of everybody launching all of these uh, fully electric vehicles without really knowing where the american buyer is gonna stand for that but that's a, a whole nother podcast i do think the ionic five yeah. is a pretty interesting looking vehicle and a yeah, good when first we start. get on that
3: whole other podcast, we, huh? Uh, when we get on that whole other podcast, we should also talk about where the, all the electricity is going to come from to charge all these vehicles. Since uh, we have recently noticed, it doesn't take much
0: to really mess up our power grid. Yep, I mean if Texas can't handle uh, a little extra power, I'm not sure who can. But again, that would maybe be even another podcast. Okay, let's move on to our third vehicle for today. Uh, This is the 2021 Mazda CX-30 2.5 Turbo. Who wants to start? Jessica, you've been pulling up the uh, third place in all this. You want to start out?
1: Sure. Um, So I I didn't actually get to drive the CX-30 Turbo, but I did drive the Mazda 3 Turbo, which has that same. Yeah,
0: same power train.
1: Um, I actually really enjoyed when we had the CX30 in uh last year for testing when it first came out. Um, it's certainly an interesting vehicle, and I, I have to be truthful, I wasn't exactly sure where it would fall within like how well it would do with Mazda, but already so far it's done really well. Um it it and I and I really like that engine uh in the Mazda 3, so I imagine that it was it was a nice boost of power as well in the CX-30. And I think one of the the best parts, maybe not not the best parts about it, but one of the things that is the most attractive to me is the fact that um, the fuel economy doesn't suffer as much as I thought it would um, compared to the regular uh, 2.5 liter engine. in an all wheel drive model. It's 26 combined in, in the, the base engine with all wheel drive. And with the 2.5 turbo, it's 25 combined. So- You don't um, lose much. Right, exactly. So you're getting that boost of power. It's a little bit more expensive, but you aren't suffering so much when it comes to fuel economy, which is still very important to people.
3: Yeah, and like Jessica was saying, the, the CX30 slots in between the CX3 and CX5, and, uh, but it instantly has become their second best-selling model because mm-hmm. this, the CX-3 was just too small to really, to, for me anyway, to be a practical vehicle. And uh, this is like the, exactly the right size, I think. And uh, shoving a much bigger engine in there, 250 horsepower and 320 pound-feet of torque uh, is absolutely a great thing. As far as I'm concerned, um, they, uh, they up- upgraded the all-wheel drive system to handle it. Um, and it's, it's, somewhat capable off-road, but even they were like, uh, you know, even hardcore off-roaders, uh, particularly in California where, you know, everything gets engineered these days, at least here in the U S you know, you've got to drive a couple hours on the road just to get to a decent off-road trail. So they're like, you know, at Mazda, we're not sacrificing that road time to get to the off-road trail. So, you know, like everything, they made it even better, uh, on the road. And, uh, it, it's just a really uh, good engine. Uh, we've talked about it before with Mazda, trying to put a more premium feel in their vehicles. And that's part of it, having more power than you need. And it delivered in a way that uh, is very responsive uh, Is part of that premium feel. I think Mazda Mazda's always been a little bit apart from the Honda, Toyota, Nissan crowd. I think now they're almost like an Audi of the Japanese car makers, something a little bit special and unique uh take on things that's that's my take well
2: put greg anything to add it's it's cool that you know it's it's kind of like a hot hatch with you know it's a raised hot hatch without all like the the wings and all the extra arrow features on it i mean if you're just looking at power numbers and the fact that it has a hatchback i mean 250 horsepower is a lot for something like that that doesn't weigh as, as much as uh mm. you know some of the traditional suvs or at least what people think of traditional suvs and uh, i have to agree with everything robinson says they just mazda between the style and the newly found interior uh, you know premium feel of it they got something that separates themselves from honda or honda and toyota quite a bit we do like their products there's no question about it
0: Okay, let's move on to our lightning round where we basically just chat about something that's uh, been in the news and uh, see if we come up with any uh, brilliant uh, opinions. The United States Postal Service has finally chosen a new delivery vehicle. We're not quite sure if that's gonna speed up the current situation they have, but it's coming. uh, They've basically given the uh, military uh, vehicle folks at Oshkosh Defense Uh, They've been awarded a 10-year contract to build the Next Generation Delivery Vehicle, or NGDV. And they're going to build it in the great state of Wisconsin. It will be equipped with either a fuel-efficient internal combustion engine or a battery electric powertrain and have the ability to be retrofitted as technology evolves. Uh, We've all seen the current vehicles. We've all heard the stories about Problems and catching fire and burning up mail. And these new ones won't be around, won't be coming for two more years, I believe. But what do you think about it? You saw what it looked like. Somebody can describe, uh, if people haven't seen it, describe what it looks like since it is different. I'm looking at
2: it right now and I can give a fairly decent description. So it has a similar front end if you're looking from the profile of what we've seen, but then it gets super tall super quickly. So it's like our super upright windshield. Big wind chill. Yeah, think, think European, like, sprinter vans. Now, everybody, even American car uh, car companies, have switched to that European-style tall side so where that you could, you know, theoretically stand up in the back. And side note, if you haven't driven one of those vans, you might think that they're super top-heavy to a degree. I guess they are, but they're actually really nice to drive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean – really- it, it- Go ahead. No, I was just – Trying to find other things in my brain to say. You've probably got something ready.
3: <laughs> no, I have nothing great. I was just going to say that uh, as long as this gets the mail to me on time, you know, less what it looks like. The biggest thing I learned out of the whole thing was that the current ones are based on uh, Chevy S10 frames. I had no idea. I did not know that. But anyway, that's all I got. That's I good didn't know piece.
1: that. Yeah, there. I I think my my I'm a little disappointed because I was hoping that they were going to do. More with the EV side of it, I feel like it's sort of time to to move on. And certainly, I imagine uh, where I live could could very easily be a, a perfect place for uh, the EV side of it. I mean, I there I know they plan to to build some that are EVs already, um, and then have them be able to be retrofitted uh, the the combustion engine ones. Um, but there's a lot of mystery. Who's Whose EV technology are they using? What sort of range are they going to have? There's a lot of questions, but what is important is that they are going to have modern safety features on them, backup cameras. Um, they're going to have air conditioning, which they don't have now. Um, That'll be
0: huge. It's For so huge.
1: I, I didn't even know that. My poor postal ladies driving around here in the summer times without air conditioning. That's That's really, really tough. And of course, um, it's much, it it looks bigger, um, it's taller and it's longer than what we have now because I mean, imagine we just have so much, uh, a a much larger volume of mail than we have ever before.
2: (laughs) So much online shopping, man. Everybody's got to chill with that.
1: It's never gonna change either. It's only gonna go up from here.
2: Yeah, do you remember
3: when email was gonna put the post office out of business?
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I was talking to uh, my postal person, uh, a very nice man who's been uh, and he really has made it through snow and ice and everything else. And he was very excited, of course, when he saw the pictures and he's very excited about having air conditioning. But of course, he asked me the question that I couldn't answer. And we haven't heard. He said, is it going to have all wheel drive? And my guess is it will not. Uh, They certainly didn't mention it because that seem for him to be the biggest need right now. And actually, does anybody know? I'm not sure it's going to be front drive. I think it's still going to be a rear drive vehicle. Anybody know? Probably still is. Just for the wear and tear, rear drive pulls up better. There's still so much nothing. that's not
1: known about, about yeah. it, actually. <laughs> it's a- the, oh, uh, nice. the company
0: has a long history. The company has a history of working with GM, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some GM componentry in there somewhere.
1: Ultium battery technology. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Anyway, uh,
0: it <laughs> can't, yeah, can't come soon enough for them, I think. Okay, let's move on. We have actually a question from Bob, and um, it's a really interesting one. How did zero to 60 miles per hour uh, how did those times kind of become the performance gold standard that we use to measure cars and trucks of all ilk? He said he started driving in 1961 and it was popular then. And of course, we still use it. Uh, he just said he was curious. And I think all, several of you have done a little research. Anyone got an answer to Bob's question?
2: I had trouble tracking the exact origin down. It seemed like everything I clicked on was like misleading it said you know the title of the article would be like how did zero to 60 come about and then they're just like oh well it's kind of racing but there was never really an answer for why it's 60 miles per hour but i think when yeah. you get down to it, it it the roots are in motorsport like drag racing muscle cars and and things like that um, but it, it you know, six, i think
0: 60 used to be fast for a car right think I about think we, you know the, the 30s 40s and 50s that was that was getting on
2: Yeah. I mean, you have just some standard passenger cars and even SUVs that are getting there in like four seconds now. So uh, I think the bigger uh, issue with it is not like maybe some people put too much stock into it because it's not something many people will ever experience on the road or, or need to. I'm kind of in between there. Like I understand if you're pulling away from a stop and need to get up and go quickly, not all engines are built the same, not all cars deliver power the same way. So I think it's an important test to run i just don't think necessarily you need to like live and die by that number like we're talking sometimes tenths and even hundredths of a second yeah,
3: yeah i don't have a great answer for bob but i was kind of heading where greg was going there uh, i know if you talk to powertrain engineers they hate it because <laughs> it, it it does absolutely nothing to describe what an engine does and what it feels like and where All it right. makes power if you bring it back to mazda they spent a lot of time talking about uh, in that, with that engine, they never even look at zero to sixties. They look at how it delivers the power when you want it coming out of a corner, when you're downshifting to get on a highway, passing, stuff like that. They, do, they could care less what the zero to sixty numbers are, but they know that everyone else will compare it. And that's yeah. uh, it, it, frustrates them. It's similar uh, to the safety aspect of cars. You know, Volvo for years was a leader but they were leader because they did their own thing. They came up with their own ideas. Uh, now, you know, we have all these tests and everyone just makes the car to pass the test. No one's coming up with new ideas to go to that next level of safety. Everyone just wants to get a four or five star rating or whatever it is. So I think it was similar to that. It's like, are we really uh, you know, hampering innovation just because we're all focused on this arbitrary zero to 60 figure? Uh, that's my rant. Sorry, Bob. No good answer here. Here,
2: Robinson, twenty twenty four, man, you got my vote.
1: <laughs> Jessica, anything to add? I I don't really think I have much to add on this conversation, other than I mean, I think I agree with Robinson about uh, it it not being a, a, an incredibly um, like truthful way to sort of. Uh, talk about the driving experience, uh, depending on in what situation you're in. Um, yeah, although you know it'll certainly be interesting because Tesla's saying that they've got a sub two. So, uh,
0: <laughs> you know, and that brings up. Uh, well, we haven't answered Bob's question, Bob. We don't know, but we we everything we've read says basically it came about either through illegal racing, street racing or sprint car racing or some, it it has that basis. And of course the Europeans have adopted the same thing, but at least over there, zero to a hundred kilometers an hour kind of sounds logical. And that's roughly 62 miles per hour. And that's the standard they live by. But I can, I have two comments and this is only because I'm so old. Number one, I remember the days when we used to make excuses for European cars because they were slow to get to zero to 60, but they had this high top end that made them effortless cruisers on the Autobahns where there were no speed limits at the time. And uh, now of course they're as fast as anybody else, if not faster. And my other comment is I think zero to 60 is now gonna become less relevant if it ever was relevant. Because as electric motors are added to internal combustion engines, all that instant torque is going to make everything fast. I mean, we've seen just in the last few years, the measure of what is acceptable drop from 10 to 9 to 7. And soon I think it's going to be five. And if it's not zero to 60 in five seconds, it's going to be like a poke. Uh, And again, to Brian's point, People don't drive that way unless they're insane, anyway. Uh, So, but it is an interesting number, and I think it's going to probably continue to be that measure to compare people for a long time.
1: It's really hard.
0: Certainly, Tesla's embraced it. (laughs) What
1: I was going to say, I've actually had people complain that they don't like when we run zero to sixties because um, it uh, some people because we're slow. no, 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 that's a, diff- that's a different comment, Greg. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, Real world folks. Just, just, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I do think we've mentioned it before, but ours are just, you know, the best time we can get that day. And there are so many yeah. variables that go into it. Track temperature, air temperature, tired um, condition. Uh, you know, it's just, it can literally be a day-to-day thing. And also if you're out there wanting to match magazines times and our times, yeah. it's so hard on your car. Just don't. Just don't do it.
0: <laughs> Plus, the uh, a lot of the times you read, especially from uh, some of the big print publications, they use a very they use a, a computer algorithm. I mean, you could say theirs is more scientific, and that's true because they use a computer algorithm to correct for temperature and wind and all of that stuff and track conditions. And uh, we don't. We, we sort of like whatever we run, what you brung, and you know whatever we get, we get. So, but I, though, you know. I,
1: mean, I was just going to say that I get occasionally a grumpy old man who thinks that we're influencing young people to drive really fast.
0: Of <laughs> that, that's understandable.
1: Cause not everybody needs a car that no. goes to 60 in, in five seconds.
0: <laughs> no, but you're, you're going to get it whether you want it or not. <laughs>
3: okay. I feel
1: like that's one of the best
3: questions we've ever gotten. I and we didn't it. give poor Bob yeah, uh, a
0: good answer. Good. Yeah. It, is. it opened <laughs> up a lot of discussion. So poor thank Bob. you, Bob. We didn't, I'm not sure we, had, I know we didn't answer your question, but there you, you sparked a lot of conversation. Well, you know, it seems like we've done an awful lot of ranting today, not so much raving, but say uh, for about, but anybody got anything extra that we'd like to add before we uh, close out this podcast?
2: I'll, oh yeah, uh, Jessica. I want to hear saying, Jessica's uh, rant.
1: I have something really interesting and it's definitely a rant. Um, I, my mom bought a car a couple months ago and she's been out of the state. So I have been the one who's been trying to get her car registered. Hmm. And so um, long story short, the t- it's, it's owned by the bank. So the bank has the title and it's their responsibility to make sure that the title gets to the uh, Department of Motor Vehicle, which we call the MVA here in Maryland. And um, so they overnighted the title uh, back in January, early January, the first week of January. And I went went in a couple of days later thinking, all right, I can register the car. Um, They told me no, that the title had yet to be scanned into the system. So they couldn't register the car. I was like, okay, they're like, check back next week. So my mom called every week for two months. Wow. And they still had not scanned in the title. So I decided to, to, the the state inspection was going to run out. It had almost been 90 days. So I said, all right, I'm going to go to Twitter. And I tweeted at the Maryland vehicle, the, the MVA. And I said, hey, I've been trying to register a car in the state for like two months now uh, what's going on. And they were like, uh, message us with your information. So I sent them all the information, the VIN number, my mom's name, the whole shebang. And the next day they told me the title had been scanned in. Way to go. (laughs) But so, so my rant is like, not everybody has a Twitter to be able to do that. And it shouldn't take me going to Twitter for them to scan a title into their system, it had been two months. So I went yesterday, and I finally got the tags for the car because her tags, she had to go get temporary extension mm. from the state that she bought it in, because she bought it out of state, and they the temporary tags uh, were going to expire on Saturday. Mm. So I, I sent her the tags because the car is not even in the state. It was it was crazy. So so that's my rant.
0: (laughs) You know, we've all been working from home for a year now. And uh, I'm, I know those folks at the NBA are doing the same things, but you know, most of us have figured out how to pretty much do our normal routine uh, over that period. But uh, that's uh, not a great story because you wonder how many more people across the country are facing that same situation.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think also, should be said that a lot this isn't the first time i've gone to twitter for like a, a company or corporation to like get things done if you message them via twitter usually you'll have a better chance of things getting done so if you're older and you don't have a twitter that's okay you can ask your kids to how to do it yeah or ask your kids to do it on your behalf seriously
2: gone yeah. lot of the days where you could just call in threats to the building you just got to Go to Twitter and get the people all upset. It's all about yeah. self-image. But you are, you are right, though. You, you make a really good point that, uh, you know, companies are very aware of what people are saying about them on social media. So if you're in a similar situation, might be time I, to sign up for Twitter, no matter how old you are. We are.
0: I mean, you know, we, we pay a lot of attention to it. Mm-hmm. Anybody got anything else? That was a good one. All right. We're going to close out our motor podcast, number 250. And thanks to um, Jessica and Greg and Brian uh, for uh, taking part today. And we also want to uh, thank uh, the folks that you don't see that make all of this possible. Uh, first and foremost, our audio guru, Jim Bigwood, who makes sure that we sound good every week. Uh, of course, Greg is our producer of our podcast And back at MPT, Bob Mixter, who came up with this whole uh, lame-brain idea a long time ago now. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for being a part of our show today. If you're not a frequent viewer of uh, MotorWeek, shame on you. But you can go to MotorWeek.org. And there's my phone. So somebody wants me. And uh, basically take a look and uh, pull down on the tab that says about the show and figure out where we're airing. We're also over on our partner, uh, Motor Trend Cable Network. You can go to our youtube.com slash MotorWeek channel and see virtually all of the segments we've done and all our retro reviews. So basically, if you've got a screen and you want to connect with us at MotorWeek, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you can do it, and we'd love to hear from you. Till next time, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and thanks for being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek television's original automotive magazine, MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.